on 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton. And it's an absolute privilege to have a, a chat to a lady who took our hearts during the Tokyo Olympics, but uh, is so much more than that, which we, we absolutely love. Uh, she won silver in the high jump at the Tokyo Games. Nicola McDermott joins us via the wonders of Zoom. G'day, Nicola. Thanks so much for having me on today. It's an absolute pleasure um, and a really, really looking forward to hearing your story. Um, take us all the way back. Um, I, I've, I've read enough about you and I've watched enough of your interviews too, Nicola, to say um, that when you were growing up, you always sort of seemed to be pretty sporty. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, for high jump, yes, but every other sports I was not good at at all. But um, when I was eight years old, I got introduced to high jump at my little athletics just around the corner from where I live. And it was, it was life-changing. I went, yep, this is, this is what I want to do. And this is what I've been gifted in. That's so good. I, I know that, um, you know, when I did athletics through school, the only decent thing I was ever good at was high jump. And uh, it, but you know, even then you know, the high jumpers were still, you know, all right, you weirdos over there, you can do a bit of the high jump, uh, high jump, <laughs> It is such a, a unique sport for those who perhaps can't get involved and, and do it. What was it at the age of eight that you went, wow, this is it? Was it you were just really great at it? You enjoyed it? What was the, the moment? Yeah, I think well, it was a benefit to be tall. And I was so tall for my age. So I thought, well, okay, that's already a head start. And it's only a few steps and you land on this mattress and all you have to do is go over this bar. And I think it was challenging enough that it was a competition against myself, but also fun enough that I could enjoy it with other people. So it ticked all my boxes. Love it. I love it. Um, Nicola, I, I'm under the, the understanding that around that age too, you set yourself some goals around you want to make the Olympics. Um, and it wasn't even a medal, interestingly. It was to jump two metres, which, of course, you ended up doing and being the first Australian to woman to ever do that uh, was that correct have I have I read correctly that that's the goals you said even at that age yeah so I um I just remember when I heard that 198 was the highest that a woman had jumped it almost automatically in your head goes well who's jumped two meters is that possible and you know, we used to have dial-up internet so I could plug in the computer you know have to cut off the phone signal and went on YouTube and there was women overseas that had jumped two meters and it's a bit like the Holy Grail when it comes to women's high jump. You know, once you jump that, you're in the medals. You're in, um, you've become one of the greatest of all time. And as an eight-year-old, I thought, yep, that's what I want to do. I want to see Australia onto that. And uh, it was like a vision that I had and I really wanted to achieve it. Yeah, it's excellent. So are you naturally a part of a family who is those sort of drivers and goal setters? Or is that just something that was a part of you when this sport happened? Yeah, so my family aren't athletic um, when, when it comes to like professional sports or anything, but uh, I, th I think I had a goal and we didn't mind how long it took. We were willing to stay in the long run for it and make a lifestyle. Like My family said, if, if you want to train for it, you're going to have to catch the bus after school training and because we're working, so we can't. <laughs> and I, I think it really it put the responsibility on me as a young person and uh, that's where the, the drive really came from because if I didn't want to go to training, I just wouldn't show up. No one was going to push me otherwise, but it was, it was my thing. And I think that was unique. Yeah. Um, as you trained in it, I'm guessing pretty early on people 
realized, oh my goodness, this is pretty talented at this sport too. When, when did you start getting noticed and then pushed to those higher levels? Uh, yeah, well, my, I'm, I'm from the central coast of New South Wales, so we're quite small as a region compared to the big cities. And I was already breaking a few um, records. And at 10 years old, my coach, who I have now, so we've been together for over 14 years. Wow. Um, he he noticed me and he was a, a high jump coach and he said to my dad, you know, I would, I would love to, to help her in, in any way. And um, he saw the potential and said, I think within 10 years time, if we train together, you'll be jumping that two meters. And so he, I think it was really important as a young child to sort of have somebody that had accreditation say, yeah, I think you can do it. And all throughout my teenage years, random people would also come up to me and say, yeah, no, I think that goal, you could definitely do it. And that was really inspiring. Yeah. So I know from a sporting perspective that that became a real focus uh, for you, that that pushing into it. And um, I know with a lot of sports people that, you know, there's this sort of plus minus that occurs. There's this absolute focus on it. Um, and this is my whole life. But then, of course, that's sort of the flip of it too, isn't it? That it's your whole life and there's other things that seem to, maybe fall by the wayside or you get perhaps a little bit too focused on it. How did you go with that? Was it? A, did you always have a good balance as you went through those growing and growing over those 10 years or, or was it something that you did get a bit perhaps too focused on? Yeah, I, well, I think naturally as a teenager, you, you get focused on something you're passionate about, whether it's good or bad, it's just natural. Um, so as, as a teenager, I was just, I wanted to be the best but my body wasn't coordinated enough to be the best. And so I was putting in so much effort and not really getting much fruit from it. Um, and I, I sort of just went, well, obviously I'm not trying hard enough. So you push yourself more and more and more. Uh, and I tried to be, there's, there's a thing with athletes. We try to be good at everything. I don't know why, but it's just like that standard of excellence. It's like, no, I need to have the highest mark in my year 12 exams. And, I have to also do this and be the best at piano. And so I tried balancing it and being the best at everything. Um, and that didn't lead to me flourishing in sport. I was improving still from how much I was training, but I look back as a teenager and my training now, and I, I'm not really training much more than what I did back then. <laughs> it was just, I was so focused on trying to be the best in everything. And that, that doesn't work. That, that really doesn't work. We're not created to be perfect in everything. And um, uh, I, I managed to get to my to twenty years old with that big focus on sport, um, to the point where I recognised that that wasn't going to satisfy me anymore. Yeah. And once I recognised that, it's just this this big um, epiphany of of why am I living? What am I doing this for? And um, and is this really going to satisfy me? And um, I'm really happy that I sort of pushed myself to that point because had I not, maybe I would have been pursuing sport as my number one thing in life and that would not have, have really led me to reach my full potential or be satisfied. Yeah. Now, in terms of uh, that understanding and that that discovery of it, um, you discovered and, and really connected in and realized, hey, look, Jesus is the answer in my life and, and, and the point of that. Could you take us through a bit of what that is? And, you know, we, 
we understand that some people listening here today go, oh, well, I don't have a faith belief at all. So are you able to explain what, what happened, how you actually went on a bit of that journey to understand who Jesus was and then the impact that he was going to have in your world? Yeah, yeah. So, um, like, my, I didn't grow up with faith until I was in my last year of primary school. My mum and dad took me out of my normal school to a Christian college and being the only one that started that that year in class I was expecting to be bullied I was expecting I was expecting everything because that's just what I'd grown up with from being so different and when I'd walked in I would encountered a love from people that I'd never in my 11 or 12 years of life had ever experienced you know people accepted me for who I was I didn't have to be good at sport or good at um funny or try and make people like me they loved me and I, I said how how could you love like like this and they said we love because Jesus loves us and that was my first encounter of who Jesus was as a person um and the impact of his love and as a teenager I started going to youth groups and trying to understand as well as being at a Christian school um started reading the bible and and it all so it, it clicked and I went, yeah, no, I really, I believe it. But um, sport was still number one. It was like the side salad, but the main meal was was my sport. And uh, I managed to get into my, that, that moment when I was 20 years old, realising I'd sort of left that faith behind. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd attached it to myself. I was doing Bible studies at uni and I was even leading Bible studies at that stage and, um and really saying, yeah, no, like I, I believe in Jesus, but he wasn't. He, he, he was. He was just a part. He wasn't. He wasn't the full thing. And I, I decided to make that switch and went. No, I'm. I'm actually going to start following Jesus as first. And whatever happens with sport happens. It's not. That's not the be all and end all. Like I just want to follow Jesus and see where that ends up because I found when I was when I was caught up in who Jesus was when I was reading about him in, in the Bible when I was learning or singing about him in church I just had such a fullness in my heart that I, I didn't experience when I was at the top of the podium and I didn't experience when the crowd was shouting my name and cheering for me like that th- there was always performance to do with that but when I recognized the love of God it was like there was no performance aspect there was no um, there was nothing I could do to add or subtract from it I was just there and loved and um, that sort of has changed my entire life because each morning I wake up and the satisfaction never leaves and it, it, it just, it only gets better and better. Yeah. <laughs> and um, sport is, has its ups and downs always. I mean, training, I have a love hate relationship, yeah. with, <laughs> but the satisfaction and my reason of why I live um, has remained the same every day since that day I decided. Yeah. Um, was there a little part of you that maybe feared that if you said, all right, well, Jesus, I'm, I'm all in with you, that maybe sport wasn't going to be as um, much a focus for you anymore? Maybe even maybe, you know, Jesus might have said, well, I want you to do go and be a missionary overseas somewhere instead. Right? Or, or actually, I don't want you to focus on sports. But was there ever that sort of thought as you went through or that never sort of entered your mind? No, yeah, well, I think that's where I realised it because athletes have this all or nothing, very strong mentality 
Uh, <laughs> and I recognized when I was making that decision, I wasn't just, um, it was almost like if there was something I had to sacrifice, I'd put my sport on the altar. Well, like that's a really um, religious term, but like I had put my sport out on the open, almost like a council pickup is coming around and I'm like, this might be taken. If Mm -hmm. I come back here tomorrow, this might be taken away. Am I willing for that? And I recognised, yeah, because I had followed sport to my 100% capacity and still been left unsatisfied. But I realised I hadn't followed Jesus to the 100%. So I've I've switched it in, in the place. And I was fully expecting God to say, yeah, no, sport was never your thing. Go, go somewhere else and um, be, be, be following me in that sphere. But that lasted about two days before I heard God really call me back to sport, but this time do it his way. Yeah. And I, um, it was almost like I'd given up sport, uh, well, my idea of sport, and I re-entered it with a brand new perspective and it was doing it his way. So that my, my, my motivation I thought was, well, I'll never be the best then, you know, if I'm doing it God's way, he's going to make me last, but like a gracious loser, you know, <laughs> that's the Christian thing to do. Like that was my understanding. It, um, but it it works. It's it's weird. Like the kingdom of God works in the complete opposite way than you expect. Because then, when I began training, I had all of this motivation because I wasn't just training for me anymore. I was training for the people around me, the people that haven't even met me. And I I'd wake up each morning, and to die, it wasn't a problem anymore because I wasn't just doing it for myself. And it was it was it works in a complete opposite way. When you surrender something, you gain three times as much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic to hear. Nicola McDermott is my guest. We're going to be back with her in just a couple of moments time as we continue hearing her story. And uh, from that moment on, you know, in terms of the sports side of things, Nicola only excelled and excelled and excelled as well. We're going to hear some of that story next here on 89.9, the light in conversation with Clayton. On 89.9 The Light, you're in conversation with Clayton. And boy, it's a thrill to have a silver medalist from the Tokyo Olympics. And we've been hearing her story, uh, especially connected to her faith story, uh, Nicola McDermott. Uh, she had us on edge, certainly in our household, uh, during all of those jumps uh, in the high jump during uh, the Olympics. And it's uh, we, we're going to get there. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment, Nicola. But we're in the middle of your this moment uh, about you know four years or so ago where you said, look, I'm going to put Jesus first. That's going to be the, the focus of my life. And and then uh, a new perspective, the way you approach sport happened as well. And suddenly it was for so many more people, it wasn't that selfish sort of idea. It was this broader one. Um, your aim of that two meters and making the Olympics, well, in the next four years that, that happened, take us through that, that two meter uh, jump that you got to. And, and as that sort of progressed to it, because I know that's a huge thing for you and, and indeed for, for high jump generally. Yeah, I um, the Olympic trials in Sydney. Uh, I I'd attempted two meters last year overseas for the first time, and it was almost like I was stepping into my destiny. You know, I had dreamed of this when I was eight years old, and as a twenty well last year twenty three year old, but now twenty four year old, um, 
it was it was so close and I'd attempted it then at the start of this year and with only just missing it uh, there's this barrier every time you you jump and the barrier is the big number so one meter 80 one meter 90 two meters like and then for women's record, world record is 209, right? So 210, like it's these big numbers. And you could you could definitely do the same jump that you cleared 198 and clear two metres, but there's that mental barrier. And I was recognising I was in shape for it. But every time I went to attempt it in the competition, uh, I tried to change everything. Like, oh, no, you need to be faster. You need to be stronger. You need to be better. Like everything has to change. And my, my coach and we were all looking at the videos and he said, you don't have to change anything. You just need to do it. But you need to believe that you can do it. And I spent well, weeks leading up to the Olympic trials and really had attached my faith to it. Like I really, I didn't just want to imagine clearing the high jump bar or two metres. Like how am I going to do it? And I broke it all down into the pieces of, um, because I was the only woman jump attempting that high uh, in that particular competition. I think the silver medal got 186. So I started when she finished. So every process I got to choose the increments of how I was, I was going to do it. And I'd managed for the weeks leading up into it. It was almost as if I had done it hundreds and hundreds of times. But by the time I got to there and I was at the second attempt at two metres and my family and friends and everyone was there. It was, it was a moment that people said that, that for some reason, like all the photographers, they stopped what they were doing. They started running to the high jump bar. Like everyone, it was, you know, the, the track event stops. No, track never stops for field, yes. like never. Like it's always <laughs> a field, you know, we have to be set, like sit in the middle and wait your turn. But everyone was just there and, it was like a silent track and that, that moment that I cleared it, the, I, I jumped it and I, I, I got up and it was just as I pictured it, uh, better than I pictured it even. And the roar from the stadium, I hadn't heard any, any crowd in Australia roar. Like yeah. overseas they do. That's, you know, you've got 70,000 people in a stadium. Of course they do. But that 1,000 people that were there, the the sound I'll never forget it yeah. it was it wasn't just oh Nicola jumped her thing it was a, it was almost like we just had a breakthrough a woman's yeah. high jump and a dream that I'd had even more than the Olympics or a medal was was there and it was such a special day yeah it's so good you, you talked about um you know breaking things down you talk about you know the the, the calm understanding that you need to have um, certainly that was something that um, seems to be through that rather unique aspect you have around your diary that you write in as you, you're oh, yeah. there too. Um, take us through through what that is. Is that actually part of it to, to help reflect? Is it help? Is it designed to help just get things out of your head so you can be back in that space? Is it just something to do so you're not distracted by everyone else? What, what, what is the, the reason around that and how did that start? Yeah, um, my sports psych and I sort of came up with the idea in 2019 because when I do a bad jump or when I miss the bar, there's always feedback like, oh, you need to do this in order to clear it. But when it's a good jump, it's sort of like, well, just do the same thing again. And that's really hard because to do the same thing again, I have to jump higher. 
so mentally I'm not giving my it's almost better to miss a bar to get good feedback than to just make all the bars and not know what I have to do for the next one so what I do is I rate myself out of 10 and then I write down from my coach I just ask him for one one particular thing to work on for the next jump and I write that down and then if I have to wait two minutes between a jump then I have to scurry it down like the end of an exam you know just get it down and go out again Um, but when I have to wait a long time it allows me just to write it down and think about other things and then when the bar's going up and I'm having to get ready for my next jump I, I look at it again and go oh right I have to work on this aspect so that's what helps me that's great Love it. Um, obviously, you know, so so many more people um, are aware more of your you and your sport even through the Olympics and, and what you achieved there with that silver medal. And um, certainly that was a, a phenomenal moment. And uh, interestingly, I think here in Australia, um, at, during that time, it, you know, it's always weird because we have an experience of your experience because yeah. through the television. And it seemed to be these these three things connected, this remarkable jump that you you, you jumped this this lady who was doing this diary thing uh and then this lady who talked about the fact that hey look i'd love to see these stadiums full with revival as well and people understanding jesus and and this was the story that we were hearing constantly um which was just fantastic to see you in in perhaps all the various areas of who you are were actually being represented seemingly quite well um take us through what that moment was and and what it was like and when you did jump that and realized you had the silver medal yeah, well, I'd, I'd gone into the Olympics and completely convinced I'm going to get the gold. So I was ranked seventh going into it, mind you. <laughs> well, world rankings around fourth, like fifth. But, um, yeah, so going into the competition, I, had, I, I just had this, you, you need to have a gold medal mentality because if I want to settle for for second, I'll probably settle for sixth place because you don't you don't have the fight and the drive. And I was in the Olympic Village two weeks before my jump. Like I got because athletics started early, and I was already in Europe, so it was a bit of that awkward thing. Most people and they spend a few days, but I was there for a long time. And we were in our room the whole time. It was basically lockdown. I was only allowed for dinner and for training out. I had breakfast and lunch inside my room, and it was. I had a room to myself, which was a real big blessing. But I, the Olympics is almost just like I was in quarantine with a bit of training. And then I went out this um, and I had to really recognise my why. Like why am I doing this and, and what do I want to achieve? So the same thing with the two-metre jump of how do I want to jump two metres. It was my, my mindset of how do I want to win a medal like how do I want to do it and if I was to get the gold medal which was a crazy thought because these girls are just so much better than me <laughs> I'm like how how would I do it and I really had to push myself past of what's normal and go further and go no this is this is what I this is how I would want to do it and I thought I'd want to use my platform and tell people about my faith the thing that really gives me this piece and 
how would I want to do the winning jump of the Olympics? I'm like, I'd want a 10 out of 10 rating and I'd want to jump a personal best, but I'd want to do it with joy in the way that I've been doing it for years when people, no one was around. Like, I don't want to be distracted and I, I just want to do it the way that I've been doing it. Like don't change, just, just be there. And again, I just spent that two weeks and just thinking about the, how and by the time, like, by the time I'd gotten out there and I, you know, I'd done my little scribbles and my notebooks and things and, um, and I was willing to show that to the world. And every single little thing that was in my heart, if it was there was a doubt, if there was questions, I really had to, I, I dealt with it within the two weeks because I knew, it was almost like I was preparing my heart and preparing myself for the success uh, when nobody was nobody had access to me. I, I, mm. My social media was, my best friend was having my social media. So I was just there. And um, it was it was really beautiful time. It, like people would say, oh, it's like lockdown, how disappointing. And it is in a way because you want to have the Olympics. But I, I had all of that preparation because I knew I was about to do something big. And I didn't know what it was. But when you do something with Jesus, you know it's not just going to impact yourself. It's going to impact yeah. everything. So I thought, okay. So um, the the competition was was just fun. Like I, I had so much fun out there because I dealt with everything beforehand. It was like going into the Olympics with a clean slate. Mm. And then I knew I was in good shape and we just went for it. And I had such motivation every time I jumped. I, I knew I wasn't jumping for myself. It was like I I. I didn't see people around me and I'm used to stadiums. I'm used to cameras. That's my job as a jumper. But I, I went there and there was just such clarity and such vision, but also I knew the message that I was carrying was a lot higher than the high jump bars that I was clearing. So it just, um, I, I got into the metal position after two meters, but in my head it was like gold. Like you can't go, go, go. And, and then 204, it just missed and, that was crazy because I, you know, two or four, what? <laughs> two meters was a big jump at the start of the year. And, um, but I would just, I just got carried because I knew what I was carrying, yeah. you know? And, uh, and then I got off the bag and then it's sort of all the emotions that I would held back just came to me. It's like, you've just, you've just got the silver medal for the Olympics. And then I was able to share what was on my heart to the media. I was able to write down my, in my diary and people were cheering, but it, it wasn't until after that I recognized people actually watched me and got impacted from what I did. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I think beautifully presented, as you said, you know, even that, that, that how, even through the jump through what it was and, and even about what you were sharing, you know, like that was, that was replayed. That was, that was done. And uh, it was remarkable the the impact I think you've had in a faith perspective, as well as a sport perspective, you've gone through Nicola I know we're running out of time so I just want to ask one final thing around um, the ministry that you're running as well I'm absolutely fascinated about uh, what you're doing and it's a it's specifically if from my best understanding I'd love you to just comment about it around um, uh, from an athlete's perspective to other athletes about uh, about Jesus and talking to them about it is it it the way you do studies is it the way you you talk about it could you share a little bit about what you're doing because I find it just wonderful oh thank you yeah well um, my best friend Nara and I we started 
uh, Everlasting Crowns in 2017 after that epiphany moment. And we didn't know what we were doing, uh, but we just started leading Bible studies with other athletes and everything that we experienced, we realised other athletes would. And it's, it's moulded and changed over the years, but every time we'd go away, we would always be the ones to hire out the room and just um, and invite all the athletes around to share faith and just to hear their stories and to be able to disciple them or encourage them in any way that God really gives us the strength to do it, even while we were competing the next day, but beforehand we're, we're there. And it's changed over the years now to be discipling athletes from all over the world and connecting them to chaplains because chaplains are amazing, like, not yeah. just for faith, um, based athletes but for everyone that has to go through something there's someone that's around them so we're sort of like the connecting point to um, to allow athletes to to know the gospel but also connect them to the right place and um, my heart is also evangelism and you can't do that if you're not an athlete in sport because you will be kicked out <laughs> so um I, I do have that dream of athletes being in stadiums and we're the ones um, sharing the gospel in the same stadiums used for sports. We see big big meetings and revivals and yeah. um, that is the vision eventually that athletes would be so secure in who they are and their faith that um, they can share and multiple people get not only inspired but um, ignited to do the same. Yeah. Well, Nicola, I, I think um, you, you're holding a unique perspective that many others perhaps haven't. And that is often we've had athletes who maybe at the end of their careers will come back and do that. But for you to be um, bold enough uh, with, you know, the, the sports side of things to say, right, this is I'm going for gold. And to have you doing that in from a faith side of things, I think is a truly unique perspective. And, and you know, well, boy. Uh, let's let's hope and pray for those of us who, who pray as well that uh, we're supporting you in that as that happens because it could be a remarkable ministry or will continue to be so as well. It just just good on you for doing that. I think that's quite quite remarkable. Well, thank you so much, Nicola. We thank you for your time. Uh, thank you for all you're doing. We know you're heading on to to Paris. We've heard you saying right. I'm I'm aiming there for the games, and we clearly see the the heart that you have for so many other athletes. So we wish you all the best and. If there's ever anything we can do to help uh, support and promote that, let us know as well. Thanks again for your time. Thank you so much for having me. Nicola McDermott, my guest here on 89.9 The Light.